Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Today's the ultimate day. The ultimate decaya, sandstorm, marky mark, whatever you want to put on it. Today would be the ultimate day for it. Maybe not for you, but it is for me, yo. Welcome to the jungle. I am Jim Rome. It is a getaway Friday. Hey, I don't want to be up in your grill about that. Nobody likes that guy. I hate being that guy. Was there a San Diego supercharger in there, Alvin? There's a little sandstorm for you. Hey, Alvin, just empty it. Whatever you have, Alvin, give it to me. Live in Southern California, I am Jim Rome. Broadcasting from the Quicken Loan Studios. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. It is a party up in here. Why is it a party up in here? Not because it's Friday. The grind includes Friday. I'm not that guy. I don't live Friday to Friday. But I do have two weeks off. The ultimate Rome fam vacay. Every year, middle of summer, two weeks. I go away, suck on battery acid, refuel. Okay, Halby. Now we're getting somewhere. Two weeks. Tell me? Toll free, 1-800-636-8686. I could do an entire open with nothing but that. Don't you dare take any of that away from me, Alvi. Give it back, son. Give it back. Now I'm feeling good. So I'm off for two weeks, starting on Monday. We have got this thing set up. Some great guest hosts coming in. I go away for two weeks. Refuel, rejuvenate, suck on the battery acid, come back, get ready for the NFL season, grind out. Today is that day. Make sure. Let's go strong into this thing. You've got your telephone number. You can also hit me up on Twitter, at Jim Rome. Damn, Alvin, my head's going to explode. I feel awesome. It's all about the you. Who let Cilio in my house? Oh, dude, Def Leppard? <laughs> Alvin, this is amazing. If you would only pitch me this. You can find me. <laughs> oh, wow. You can find me on Twitter. You can also hit me up on email, Rome, R-O-M-E, at habitate.com. Today's the ultimate day to bust open the opening segment. I am. Guarantee my suits in New York are like, hey, yeah, that's great, Rome. You got anything you want to talk about? Have you got any content? Well, I've got lots of content. I've got content for days. But the best show open ever. Call me right now. I'll break the format. Best call through gets through in the open. All right, in terms of that show... Tyler Kepner is a baseball writer for the New York Times. He'll join me next segment. Yankees making moves. It's always about the Yankees. Now with the Yankees, there's some good news and some bad news. Hey, Avi, can you do an entire program with that underneath me? Get it, Stevie Carbone. Today is Friday. Today is Friday, Hood. All day. Friday, Friday. Get it, Steve. Tyler Kepner coming up next segment. We'll talk about the moves the Yankees are making. Hour number two, Golden State Warriors guard Damian Lee. Hour number three, the Atlanta Braves getting representation in the jungle. Charlie Culberson. Stay strong, Alvy. Keep doing it. I want to talk about the Yankees and the move that they made. Yesterday, it seemed like all the baseball news was going to be about the Cubs getting Cole Hamels or Milwaukee getting Joaquin Soria. Soria, I should say. 
but it wasn't. It was about the Yankees. Yeah, I know who that is. That's John Lennon's old lady. Other other baseball news. Remember like a month ago when the brightest minds in the sport said that every playoff spot in the American League had already been wrapped up before the All-Star break? Yeah, well, neither. Neither do the freaking Oakland A's. Look at them right now. Don't sleep on them. I will get into that. Back to the NFL. Man, this open, Alvin. This open, though. This open, though. In the NFL. You know how Bill Belichick wanted nothing to do with any conversation about Malcolm Butler. Yeah, well, Malcolm Butler is not afraid to talk about Malcolm Butler. That story is coming up. Also in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns have got a little bit of swag. The Hard Knocks cameras are rolling. They hit the field yesterday. They look like a team with a little bit of mojo, a little bit of swag. Or, in the minds of at least one of them, was that a Frisky Kitty reference? That's Logan Rome. Was that Jake? Either way, they both probably go to the Frisky Kitty now. Hey-oh! Bet the wife loved that reference. Hey-oh! All right, Alvin, I, I don't want to get either of us in trouble. You should stop. So the Browns, you know, bring it back. The Browns are literally talking Super Bowl. A team that won one game in the last two years is talking Super Bowl. Well, actually, not the Browns, but Jarvis Landry. And I'm not here to clown him either. I'll have that story for you, too. Now, what I wanted to start with today, and I was going to start with it today, until I got sucked in to the abyss that was the Open, produced by Alvin, directed by Alvin. I really wanted to start another program with a take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) Very quickly, why are you stopping? Let's go to Twitter, at Rise Rock Against. Alvy bringing the fire to start the ultimate day. Such lava. At Nate Andre tweets, this might be the best opening segment in jungle history. Well, there's no might about it. This is the best opening segment in jungle history. This might be the best segment in jungle history. Today's Friday. Right, Hood? Tyler Kepner, 10 minutes out. All right, so let me talk about the Jags for a minute. Don't. Don't. Keep going, Alvin. You finished what you started, son. Jacksonville has got a ton of juice right now. I can't go even a couple of days without shouting, Duval! 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 I can't go even a couple of days without doing a take on the Jags. I mean, look, it would be so easy for me to be sitting here in Southern California and rant on about the Dodgers, the Lakers, the Rams, the Chargers. I could do that. I do do that. Or I can go the other way and say, hey, New York is where everything starts, where everything happens. I could go with a Yankee take right off the top, but I'm not going to do that. I'd rather start with a take on the Jags, which is amazing because this time last year, it was unheard of to talk about the Jags on national sports radio. The only person who had the stones to do that was me, was me. Who will ever forget when I led a show last summer with a take on the Jags and everybody thought that I was crazy. Then I did it again, two days later. 
two Jags takes in three days. Nearly broke the entire internet. Then I did three in five days. And a lot of people thought the world would never be the same. Then I did a fourth in seven days. Then the Jags nearly went to the Super Bowl. It was a crazy ride for all of us. All of us. Now I don't bring that up to remind you that I was on the cutting edge. That I was the only one who had the stones to talk about the Jags like that. I don't bring it up because I want to remind you of what life was like for the Jags a year ago. Actually, I do want to bring it up for that reason. Remember, a year ago, they're coming off a three-win season. One of the biggest stories of their offseason was Dante Fowler Jr. You know that name. You know that story. You'll recall Fowler was arrested last summer for battery, mischief, and petty theft. Perfect bed for this, Alvy. Battery, mischief, and petty theft. The story went that he was driving in the parking lot of an apartment complex when another man complained about the way he was driving. Somehow it escalated from there because Fowler allegedly punched the guy. That's not good, right? Not good at all. But that was just the appetizer. Here comes the main course. Remember, Fowler punched this guy, took this dude's glasses, stomped on the glasses. An incredible move. And it wasn't even his best. So how do you top that? How do you top punching a guy in the head and then stomping on his glasses? Simple. According to the report, Fowler then, quote, took the victim's grocery bag with recently purchased liquor and threw it in a lake, end quote. A truly legendary piece of road rage. Punch a guy in the face, stomp his glosses, chuck the groceries into Tom Brady's lake. So the league announced that Fowler would be suspended for one game this season after he pleaded no contest to the Chargers. Well, why do I bring this up? Because he met with the media yesterday. And of course, the glasses, groceries, lake incident came up. And he was asked if he feels good about the personal progress that he's made in the past year. And his response, and you wait for this now, because it's an all-time response. Again, he was asked, did he feel good about the personal progress he's made? Fowler said, and I quote, did I go to jail? End quote. What an amazing response. I always say never answer a question with a question, but in this case, it's the best possible way to answer that question with a question. Do you feel good about the personal progress you made in the past year? Quote, did I go to jail? Boom, have some, but it gets better. When the reporters confirmed that no, he did not go to jail, Fowler responded with quote, there you go. There you go. There's your mic drop. Jump out of Jacksonville. The entire city. Jump out of the state of Florida on that one. Did I go to jail? No. Well, there you go. Roasted. That's on you, reporters. You just got your groceries thrown in the lake by D. Fowler Jr. He clowns you so hard. He stepped on all your glasses. Annual review complete. Give this cat a raise. Right? Tell me how my ass tastes. Tell me how Did my I go to jail? Tastes. Well, there you go. I got some advice for all of you before I go to break. Before I end the best opening segment ever. The next time you're having a review with your boss and you get asked, hey, how do you feel like you've progressed this year? You simply answer that question with a question of your own. Did I go to jail, boss? And when the answer is, well, no. Chase it with, well, there you go. Pay me. 
Did I go to jail? Didn't think so. Next time, ask a better question. I mean, I'm not going to say that the bar is kind of low when you're hyping yourself for not going to the jail or to jail in the past year. But that bar is so low, everybody's tripping over it. This cat is the best. Just when you thought he couldn't do better after that bout of insanity, a bad driving, this dude goes next level with it by dunking on everybody's head by asking for personal improvement or when they ask for personal improvement. My man has a one-man Tony Robbins seminar. He's Napoleon Hill 2.0. Do you feel like you've made progress this year, Dante? Well, let me ask you this. Did I go to jail? Well, there you go. Did you take that crap someplace else? Did I make progress this year? Did I go to jail? Well, no, you didn't. Please. There you go. Jacksonville's got a great look at a ring this year. But Dante Fowl Fowler Jr.'s already got the belt, already got the strap for best presser. And if you try to rip that from him, he'll rip off your glasses, stomp on them, and chuck your food and your liquor in a lake. Respect this, cat. I know I do. Al Wright tweets, Damn, Romy. Albie is on fire. Let me get my glow sticks and orange juice. Hey, watch out there. Get the moon rocks. Get the molly. Get the light gloves. Get the pacifier. Get the candy. Go all out, rave kids. This is not the jungle. This is freaking E-D-C. Hawk's rolling face. The difference between acting and reacting is being prepared. Make sure you're proactive and not reactive. Hurricane season is underway across most of the country, bringing extreme wind and rain with little to no warning. It is critical to make sure your generators, power washers, chainsaws, john boats, and other emergency equipment are ready to use when you need them most. Whether you live in a high-impact area or not, planning in advance is a crucial step in hurricane preparedness. Stay Bill, America's number one fuel stabilizer and ethanol treatment, making sure your equipment starts when you need it the most. The New York Times, lots to cover with Tyler Kepner. So yesterday was a really busy day for the Yankees, but obviously, Tyler, the biggest story is Aaron Judge suffering that chip fracture of his right wrist. How big of a blow is that to a team that's already four and a half games out of first in the AL East? Yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, they have such a great record, but uh, you look up and, and they're still a little bit back from... Uh, from Boston, so they need, uh, you know, they, they need them. They need to avoid that wild card game, uh, if, if at all possible. They got four games up in Boston next weekend, um, so the Red Sox can really make a dent, um, you know, uh, in, in that lead there, or expand it. So yeah, it, it hurts a lot. Three weeks um, with a lot of critical games coming up. Yeah, it's going to hurt a lot. I wonder how much. As an example, the early reports are indicating that they're looking at three weeks at the earliest for Judge to return. Can you see the Yankees running down the Red Sox without Judge, or is that just too tall of an order? Well, I could. I mean, they, they do have, uh, you know, a great, the best bullpen in the league, and it got even better with Zach Britton. Um, they helped out the rotation with Jay Happ. Um, so they always talk about, you know, if you can't score more runs, you prevent more runs. And, and, and their run, the run prevention side looks like it got a little bit better. Um, and they still have a really good offense. Um, it's just a lot less margin for error now without that, without that kind of bat in there. Tyler Kepner joining us. He's a national baseball writer for the New York Times. You mentioned Jay Happ, so they make that deal for him. What do you make of that move, and what do you think that means for that rotation? Well, it was funny, uh, Jim, because when they got Britain, it was sort of like, well, maybe this is their big move, and, uh, you know, they'll just try to, to bullpen it. 
um, through the uh, through the postseason through the rest of the way. Um, and they can do that because their bullpen's so great. But you know, they 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 did not uh, ignore that rotation. Um, you know, when you look at uh, Jay Happ, he really solidifies things. They've had a uh, some problems at the back end. Uh, they lost Jordan Montgomery for the year a while ago, and they tried to patch that, and it's gone okay. Um, you know, they've got a great record, but uh, Hap certainly improves on that. Sonny Gray, they don't really know what they're getting from him from start to start. Um, you know, you got Tanaka, Severino, Sabathia, so so they're, they're better. He, he gives them another arm you can throw out there in a, in a playoff game and, and rely on for, uh, you know, a solid five, six innings. He's been around. He's pitched in the World Series at Yankee Stadium before, so, you know, he's he, he knows his way around. He knows his way around the AL East, um, and he solidifies things. Just takes away one question mark um, that they had every fifth day. Tyler Kepner is my guest. Now, in the past, the thinking had been that if you want to succeed in postseason baseball, you had to have big arms at the front of the rotation, guys who could carry you in a series. You wrote, I thought, a really interesting piece earlier this week about the impact that Game 3 of the 2016 ALCS had the way or had on the way managers approach postseason baseball. For those who do not remember, what happened? in that game and then how did that change things yeah that was a game uh cleveland was up 2-0 going back to toronto but you know toronto had a big offense there and and the the uh indians had trevor bauer on the mound he had cut his hand repairing a drone um so he had to be pushed back and then he was bleeding all over the mound in the first inning and uh, there was no way to stop it and he had to come out and so what the indians did is they just bullpended the rest of the way they had uh, a bunch of different pitchers nobody faced the same hitter twice nobody uh you know, got more than four outs, five outs, I don't think. Um, then they just went from one arm to another to another to another. They had all had rest the day before because it was an off day. Um, so they were all rested. They were all strong. And the Blue Jays were just scrambling all game because every time you came up, there was another arm you had to you had to see. So, um, you know, it worked. I mean, it's not the way you script it, but it can be the way you script it, really. I mean, we've seen the Rays do that this year. They've been pretty good. I mean, they're hanging in there um, doing this bullpen thing. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, if uh, if a team does that this October, especially a team with a lot of good relievers, I mean it's a, it's a risk, but teams are more open to um, you know unconventional ideas than ever. And you saw last year in the World Series. I mean, look, uh, L.A. was really you know they were really big on on using a lot of relievers and everything, but when it came down to it, their starter ended up losing them losing them Game Seven because they left them out there just a little bit too long. So. You know, I, I think a team that has a big power bullpen would really be kicking themselves if uh, they didn't utilize it to full effect in, in the postseason. Tyler Kepner joining us. We're talking baseball and looking ahead to the postseason already. So you've got a lot of the focus, obviously, on the Red Sox and the Yankees, but the Astros are 30 games over 500. They currently have the second-best record in baseball. Of course, there is some concern when it comes to Jose Altuve's knee. But overall, how does this Astros team look compared to last year's team? Yeah, that's a great question. I wrote about them last week. Um, I was down there just before the All-Star break when they were playing Oakland, um, who's been great. But, uh, you know, Houston got to the halfway point of the 81 games with a better run differential than any team has ever had in the expansion era. That goes back to 1961. So when they win, they were just brutally beating down their opponents. I mean, this team is really, really good. They've actually underperformed um, compared to their run differential. They should have uh, even more wins they're 30 games over 500 right now though so they're doing they're doing just fine they've got a great rotation um you know they haven't they haven't missed a turn all year it's been the same five guys it's the only team that's had just five guys start all year um they've got a lot of good relievers you know you don't look at that back end and say oh there's a, a guaranteed dominant shutdown guy but when they get to october they feel like they'll be able to take a morton or mccullers 
out of the rotation and put him in the bullpen. I still think they'll get an arm down there somewhere. Um, you know, Ken Giles, uh, you know, off in the wilderness now. But um, they're really good, and they got they made a nice little move yesterday. Um, getting Martin Maldonado, the catcher from the Angels, really good defensive catcher. Um, McCann's going to be out still for a little while. So they can really hit, and they can really pitch, and um, I still think they're the favorite. I still think they're the best team in baseball. Mm. Tyler Kepner, my guest, before I let you go, I can't let you go without asking about the New York Mets. <laughs> they're riding a mini three-game winning streak, Tyler, but overall, this has been a very Mets season full of injuries and weirdness. How would you describe where this team, and maybe even more importantly, where this organization is right now? It's really lost now, Jim. It, it, it's, it's rudderless. There's no direction. Um, they hired a new manager last year in Mickey Callaway, who was a great pitching coach. But, uh, you know, so far it, it's been a real rocky transition um, to, uh, to managing. He had been with Cleveland. Um, Sandy Alderson is, is away now dealing uh, with his cancer. They have three GMs, um, sort of a three-headed guy replacing him. But it's really, you know, it comes down to Jeff Wilpon and ownership. Um, making the ultimate call. The bottom line is they just don't know where, what kind of team they are. They're a bad team. I mean, the standings say that. Um, and they're a team that just can't ever get out of the way of the injury thing. They changed their training staff last year, but it just keeps happening. I mean, Syndergaard has barely pitched this year um, with injuries, various kinds of injuries, now hand, foot, and mouth disease. Uh, yeah, Cespedes now is going to be out for at least 10 months with these operations on both heels paying them $29 million a year. They went out and they did spend money. It's not like they, they don't spend money, but all their free agents have gone bust, every one of them. Um, Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak, Vargas, Frazier's been hurt. Um, they just, they don't, when they spend, they don't spend correctly, and they don't have enough prospects to, uh, you know, to, to, to really fill in. So it's, 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 it's a shame. It's kind of a mess, but they do want to hold on to uh, DeGrom and, and Syndergaard last, uh, last invert. I mean, it is a shame. It is a mess. It is a complete and utter disaster. I mean, Tyler, it's amazing. I keep coming back to this. The Mets were in the World Series in 2015. The Mets reached the postseason in 2016, and yet two years later, they're a laughing stock. I mean, you did a great job of laying that out, but how is that even possible? They were in the World Series in 2015. Yeah, it's really it's it's amazing when you think about it. And they were in the not only in the World Series, but they were in the World Series with a rotation that you thought um, could get them back or could lead to repeated postseason appearances. Anyway, they they've made one wild card game since then, and they lost to Bumgarner. So uh, yeah, I mean that rotation was young, under control. Um, but with the Mets, you know, their injuries keep happening. Uh, whether it's misuse, mismanagement. I mean, really, the only reliable one. Um, you know, consistently has been DeGrom. Even he had a little injury issue, um, not this year. But so, yeah, I mean, they just haven't been able to keep those pitchers healthy. Um, Harvey's long gone now, um, and they never really had the, the, the pieces that fit on offense. I mean, they'll have these outfielders, but they never really seem to be in the right position. Um, you know, they try to fake it with guys like Adrian Gonzalez and everything. They still haven't figured out catcher. Um, so somewhat of it's an indictment on the farm system. Somewhat of it's an indictment on the way they spend. And a lot of it's an indictment on uh, on the health and the continuing uh, medical adventures that this team has year after year. Are you going away on vacation this summer? If so, add the Zipa to the list of items that you simply cannot forget. You know that list, the one that's got the toothbrush and the phone charger on it. That list. Make sure the Zipa is also on it. Zipa is spelled Z-Y-P-P-A-H. Z-Y-P-P-A-H. It's actually Happy Z spelled backwards. Now, if you go to bed with a Zipa, you wake up with Happy Zs. Did you know that one night of bad sleep can ruin your entire day? 
Are you planning a summer vacation? You do not want to ruin the entire vacation with snoring all night long. Vacations are supposed to be a time for rest and recovery and relaxation. Well, how do you expect to get any rest if there's somebody snoring all night? What if that somebody is you? If you're snoring, you're not sleeping, and neither is anybody else. This is why you need to get a Zipa before you leave on vacation. If you or somebody you know snores, just go to Zipa.com. Zipa is guaranteed to stop snoring. You've got nothing to lose. If you're not happy for any reason at all, just return it. Get a full refund. Snoring is rude. It's disrespectful. And it's offensive because there is a solution. Do not ruin another summer vacation with snoring. Get your Zipa today by going to Zipa.com. Zipa.com. Ensure you and everybody around you has a great summer vacation. If you've cracked open a newspaper... Peep the standings at all. You'll see an A squad that is pulled right up on the Mariners. They're not that far back of the Yankees either. Don't look now, Seattle. But that eight-game lead for the second wildcard spot that you had at the beginning of the month has now been burned down to one. And as much as you want to make that about the Mariners, it's way more about the A's. Because the A's are 27-7 and since June 15th. Even more importantly, they're 10-2 since their GM, David Forst, swung through the jungle and ripped a grip of karma back on July 11th. I should tell you that I played in Springfield in 98, and I brought my copy of Welcome to the Jungle to the clubhouse. Love that. And, well, that's and, amazing. Uh, that team in 98 played that CD just about every day before we headed out on the field. That's one of, one of my memories from playing independent ball. It was, it was perfectly timed for your show to go syndicated and then that CD to come out. Man, there are some great jungle interviews. And then there's that. A freaking major league GM back in the day playing independent ball, but a major league GM bumping the Welcome to the Jungle CD on repeat during team bus rides through the independent leagues. Back in 1998. Incredible. No wonder they're on baseball's best heater right now. No wonder David Forrest is one of the brightest minds in baseball right now, if not all of sport. Just a few weeks back, the A's were stuck, allegedly, in no man's land. You know, are we a buyer or are we a seller at the trade deadline? But even before running down the Mariners, and David Forrest must have known something... Even before they ran them down the way they have, he already was in love with the group that he has. This group uh, deserves a chance to stay together. They deserve a chance to play this thing out. Um, I think we know here how precious playoff opportunities are, and you don't, you don't just punt them because you're a little bit ahead of schedule or maybe didn't expect to be here. So, uh, you know, there have been a lot of comparisons made between this team and the 2012 team that kind of came out of nowhere, and it remains to be seen how that plays out over the last couple months. But, uh, but this group likes each other. They enjoy playing together. And uh, I think we're going to go, go into the next three weeks feeling like, hey, let's, let's see if we can stick together, you know, hold this group, and, and maybe even you know, help them out a little bit. This dude's a genius. I mean, he made that statement weeks back, and now look where they are. Let's hold this group together, give them a chance, see how it plays out, and maybe get them some help. In other words, if they weren't buyers then, they might be now. Because besides being only a game back on Seattle for the second wildcard spot, they're only five and a half back of the Yankees for home field advantage in a one-game playoff. Only six off the Astros for the division. 
And there's still 58 games to go. So baseball being baseball, it's a long season, which is good for some teams, but terrible for others. Terrible for a team like the Mariners, who had way too much time to blow it and then come back to the pack the way they have. But great for a team like the A's to just keep grinding and grinding and then make their move, which is what they've done. You've got Aaron Judge getting his hand exploded last night. He's going to miss three weeks at least. And because it's a wrist, who knows how long that's going to be and how much worse that might be. And you've got the A's, who are becoming that much more of a threat. Nobody wants to see the A's in their rearview mirror. Not the Astros, not the Yankees, and especially not the Mariners, who've got a 17-year streak of missing October. I'd welcome the A's to the party. But they are the damn party right about now. And believe me, if you heard the Open, you know I know a party. And the American League just got a whole hell of a lot more interesting with the A's spinning the tunes and taking over the dance floor. I love them. I love the way they're playing right now. Welcome to the party, pal. Damien Lee, my guest, maybe you can help me tell this story. If you go back a little bit, you were playing your college ball at Drexel. You're in your junior year. Back in 2013, you're playing Arizona, one of the best teams in the country in Madison Square Garden. What do you remember about that game? Uh... The morning of that game felt a little bit different. Um, you know, just something felt weird. I mean, of course, it, it, it could have been just playing the number one team in the, in the nation. Um, you know, fast-forwarding down to the game, uh, now I remember they had Aaron Gordon, T.J. McConnell, Brandon Ashley, uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I mean, they were loaded. And, um, you know, with 10 minutes left into the game, uh, try to, I try to make a move on T.J., uh, make a jump stop, and the next thing I know, I feel a snap, and I, and, I, and, I, and I hear a snap. So you make that move to the basket, and you feel that. You hear a snap. You feel a snap. And then this is bad news, right? Up until that point, you had never had surgery before. And then you get word, Damien, that you're done for the season with an ACL injury in the right knee. So since you had never been through something like that, what was it like to hear that news? And were you worried that you might not ever be the same again? Yeah, um, definitely worried that I probably wouldn't be the same again. You know, hearing you know other people that have torn their ACL, um, just the whole mixed emotions, thinking, will I ever be back to who I was? Will I ever be better? Um, there was a lot of things going through my mind, but you know, once I finally went through surgery and settled down, uh, you know, my mom really stuck by me and told me just to keep pushing every single day, and I'll be even better than I was before. Damien Lee, my guest, which is exactly what you did, right? You battle all the way back, and then you do the rehab, and then in 2015, you're playing Northeastern, and then somebody hits your hand when you go up for a layup. You kept on playing. You had 30 in that game, but your hand was still bothering you. So then what happened? Yeah, so um, it was about five minutes into that game. My hand, my hand got hit, um, and I'm still playing. Uh, hand gets hand gets a little swollen at, at halftime. You know, I told my trainer just to buddy tape my fingers together, and I wasn't going to come out the game. Um, after the game, hand still bothering me, it's swollen. I uh, we end up going to the hospital and then coming to find out that I had an uh, oblique fracture in my hand, in my uh, shooting hand. I said, Damien, now you've worked your way back from an ACL injury and then you break your shooting hand and now you're going to have to work your way back from that as well. So how did you deal with that mentally and emotionally after already coming back from a significant injury? Uh, I think the the hand injury actually wasn't wasn't that bad because I could I, I, I could still walk. Um, you know, tearing your ACL, you're on crutches for six, eight weeks. Um, 
So I think the hand injury really wasn't that bad. I feel like it actually helped me because I did everything with my left hand for those two, three months. So I think my left hand actually got uh, a little a little bit better going into the summer. All right, so then you deal with that. So now you're in your final year of eligibility, and you transfer to Louisville. So what was that decision-making process like, and what made you choose Louisville? Um, it was tough. Um, you know, I, I, I probably could have stayed at Drexel and tried to – you know, make a run at uh, going to the NCAA tournament. But I feel like I tapped out my potential there. Um, you know, all my friends, close friends growing up, all all played in the ACC, Big East, Pac-12. So for me to finally have that opportunity, really, um, you know, I definitely want to take full uh, advantage of it. And, um, I mean, going to Louisville, playing in front of 22,000 fans, you know, despite what happened, I still say this to this day, you know, I, I wouldn't give that year up for anything. Um Playing in front of those play, uh, in front in front of those fans and playing with a couple of people like Ray Spall and Donovan Mitchell that I'm sure uh, uh, that other fans know about. Go and see a Warrior, Damian Lee, my guest. All right, like you said, like you're not giving that year up for anything, despite what happened, which we can get into. But also keep in mind, February of 2016. I mean, you'd beaten UNC, who was the number one team in the country. But then at that point, you find out that the school is going to self-impose a postseason ban. I mean, you went through all this, all this physically, and then you hear that. When you found that out, what went through your mind? What did you think? Uh, I was hurt, honestly. Um, you know, just going through everything, uh, finally having that chance to be able to play in the tournament. Um, you know, thinking that we were probably going to get a three seed, maybe four seed in the in the NCAA tournament, and anything could happen. Um, definitely hurt, but you know. Everything happens for a reason, and uh, you know I can't I can't complain about what happened now. Damian Lee, my guest. I mean, Damian, that we're not through this story yet. There's even more still to come. So then you go undrafted, you go to training camp with the Celtics, you sign with their D League team, the main Red Claws. What were your first impressions of the D League? Uh, definitely a grit and grind type of type of situation. I feel like when you play in the D League, there's like no respect because everyone wants to try to make it to the, to the NBA. Um, I mean, every I mean, it's basically doggy dog uh, every day, night in, night out. Whether it's the Simon guys are down or guys are just trying to find their niche in the D League to try to get a call up. Um, I mean, everybody's really trying to play for a ten day. All right, so then finally, you're there, right? You're doing it. You're doing your thing. You're grinding. But then December 2016, a couple of days before Christmas, you tear the ACL in your left knee. So now you've torn both ACLs. You've broken your shooting hand. I mean, emotionally, Damien, where are you at at that point? And are you starting to wonder, like, man, maybe it's just not meant to be? Uh, I'm not going to lie. Some of those thoughts did cross my mind uh, early in tearing my left ACL. But, um... The crazy part about that was I, I only partially tore it, so the ACL has two bundles, and um, only only one snap. And um, so, I mean, re- regardless of whether you partially tear it or fully tear it, you have, you have to go through the same surgery again. So for me, you know, I knew what I went through the first time. I knew that I came back even better. And um, this time, you know, not only did I have the support of my mom and my close friends, but I had the support of uh, the woman who's now who's now my fiance. So um. You know, just having people that really believe in me and trusted in me and know that I could become even better, I think that made that whole process even easier. So you have this amazing support group. You go through the grind once again. And then in March of this year, and you went through that whole rehab process again, you're in a hotel in Dallas. You get a call in March of this year from your agent. What did he say in that call? He said, Damien, get up. <laughs> and I was like, why? It's, it's, it's like 
9.30 in the, in the morning Dallas time, and we're about to have practice or shoot around at, like, 11. He's like, Damien, get up. And I'm like, why? He's like, I need you. I need you. I was like, all right, like, what's up? He said, I need you to get on a flight to Atlanta right now. You finally got your 10-day. So you get this phone call, and after everything you've gone through, the broken hand, the two ACLs, the D-League, you get a phone call that you're going to sign a 10-day contract with an NBA team, that, like, the dream is about to become a reality. What's going through your mind at that point? Uh, I mean, everything, really. Um, you know, just thinking back of the last five years, how how my life's been and how my story is sort of being molded. Um, but I think still, like, the crazy part about it is, like, it hasn't fully hit me that I've played in the NBA. Cause I've, I've mentally in, in, envisioned it for, like, so long that I am an NBA player, and then being in that moment playing against, you know, NBA superstars night in and night out really, uh, I don't think it's really set in yet because I've, I've mentally prepared myself for this moment. Damian Lee, my guest, I got to ask you, so you mentioned your mother a couple of times that she had been there for you. She had helped you through this whole thing. She kept pushing you. As you point out, you barely had time. Your agent makes that phone call. You got to get to Atlanta as quickly as possible. There was not a lot of time, but you had enough time to call your mother. What was that call like? Yeah, um... I called my mom. She was at work. She's a registered nurse. And um, I think she kind of had an idea about it, but I still, you know, called her and told her. And um, she immediately started started crying. And that was, uh, that was a very, very special moment because, um, you know, her especially just knowing everything that I've been through, her raising me basically by herself with help of, you know, my aunt and grandparents. Um, really just her having that. I think me getting that call up was a testament to how um, women can raise men. Damian Lee joining us. So you get in, and you're living the dream. You're playing in the NBA. You have 13 points, four rebounds in that game. Was there a moment, I mean, was the whole thing, like, surreal, or was there a moment like, yeah, man, I belong. I belong. I proved it. Now everybody knows. Uh, no, yeah, definitely. Um, just, you know, having that uh, having that uh, assurance from like, your peers, like guys like, uh, you know, PG. Um, Westbrook and Melo even, you know, throughout the game, like, who are you? Like, where'd you come from? And then a guy like Melo, um, you know, being from Baltimore as, as well, I actually played for his uh, AAU team when I was younger. And I mentioned that to him during the game. He was like, I remember you. He was like, man, you belong here. So, you know, just keep on pushing. Dude, that's got to feel so good. Damian Lee, my guest. So finally, earlier this month, you signed a two-way contract with the Golden State Warriors. So now you not only have a chance to play in the NBA, but to do it for the two-time defending champions and to play alongside your future brother-in-law, Steph Curry. So what does that opportunity yeah. represent to you? Um, it's, it's, it's huge. I mean, for me, just thinking about, you know, the past year playing with Santa Cruz Warriors, playing with uh, – you know, the G League team, really think it's all coming full circle. So um, I'm just excited for the for the opportunity. I, I feel like my playing style fits in with uh, the Golden State Warriors. So really just excited to come in and just play and, you know, contribute as well as I can. Yeah, I just got to finally ask you this. I mean, you're, as I mentioned, your story, your journey is amazing. It's almost impossible even to tell in one segment on this show. But you, you're taking this all in stride. I mean, the path to this moment might not have been what you expected. It might not have been what you wanted. But when you look back on all the challenges that you faced, dealt with, and overcome, what kind of thoughts do you have? Uh, I mean, my first thought is that God is real. Um, I mean, I, I feel like there's no other way that my story could have been written. 
for everything to line up the way that it has been. Um, from, you know, getting injured to even transferring from Drexel to Louisville, uh, picking my agent, coming out here to Oakland, meeting my girlfriend then, who's not my fiance, uh, you know, playing out here in Santa Cruz, getting called up by the Hawks, just the way that everything has been lined up shows me that God is real and that he has a plan, not only for me, but for everyone. Um, and it's just a matter of if you heed to it or not. If, you know, you stay diligent, um, stay true to who you are and just continue to grind. Um, I mean, I feel like he'll, he'll bless you tenfold. Welcome to the jungle. What's going on? My name is Jim Rome. Great to have you on a Monday. Hope you had an amazing weekend. Great to be back. And especially coming off what I thought was a tremendous smack off 24. Yeah! So I got a custom-made banana hammock with Matt's face right up by my banana. Tyler's face around back near my hammock. Just like that, smack off 24 is in the books. Hey, Mikey, here's some news. Pre-record that and use it in your call next year. Bitch. Lived up to all the hype yet again. Dude, that guy gets more ass than Kelly Clarkson's lazy boy. Now the question is, what the hell do we do for our 25th smack off? What are you, the king of party city? Do the math club. Quarter of a century. Tell me how my Brad's uh, having himself a uh, day. Five Brad, more grand Brad to the champ. Chael's call would have been better with Hassan's awful phone connection. Rolls it forward and in it goes. May not have looked spectacular, but it was unbelievable. In the worst conditions, when the entire world was pulling for the guy that you were playing with, John Rossi. Still basking in the afterglow of my countryman Francesco Molinari's uh, Vittoria Ieri. No! What are you doing? That old tiger, he's never coming back. That old tiger is dead. But this one is competitive and looks like a different dude off the course. And by different, I mean like pretty good dude. Yeah, it happens. Or Taylor Swift in the rat family. It doesn't exist. Totally hypothetical. And I don't deal in hypotheticals. Moron. Unfathomably dumb. Yogi Ferrell, my guest. Yogi, listen, really good to have you on the show. Love to have you back on. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come back out to LA. Email. Love the Who. And I think Bob O'Reilly is one of the most iconic songs Iron. I've ever heard. So that was a no-brainer. Dude, really? You don't know that? Song. Really? Really? What defines me? Ryan Locke. You were missed. Yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. Vitamins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suspension. Yeah. Back to the kiddie pool. Yeah. My man's not smart. Yeah. And by not smart, I mean pretty dumb. Yeah. Jerry Kramer joining us. That one guy from Chicago who said I was off eyes in the ice bowl. Jerry, how'd that make you feel? Well, he just is stupid. That's oh, all. Kind of like that myth that Jimmy G was waxing and taxing last week. Ah. We are joined right now by Jay Williams. Murals of LeBron keep getting ruined a Allegedly by Kobe fans. I think that Kobe fans are a little bit simple-minded at times. Kobe. Lawrence. Canadian Guess who's back? The number one. Red, 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 red. Woo! Ah. Well, Larry, that's your best one in a while. Dennis Dodd is my guest. Great job on the smack off. It was one of the best. You were tweeting during the smack off. So what do you make of what you heard that day, Dennis? I like the BIC, but I thought the production value was left. I don't want the gym membership. Put him over the top. Uh, Brad, man, Brad is just so smooth. I've always loved it. We had our little spats, but I love every. Uh, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> I really am joking. God, <laughs> Some bitch. We are joined by Bruins head coach Chip Kelly. Chip, it is great to have you on. How are you? Romy, what's up? How are you? Chip, it's been a minute since you and I have spoken. I gotta ask it's Chip, been. how does it feel to be the head coach at UCLA? It's awesome. Great place to live. Unbelievable school. So we're excited to be here. Fonzie is the first grown ever. He was a grown before you were even born. No wonder he never got a second date with Tinky Custodero. One, he doesn't have enough money to take her anywhere better than Arnold. And two, the bed he wanted to take her to is in the spare bedroom of Mr. and Mrs. Cunningham's house. Fonzie! 
sit on it. This has never happened to me. I'm looking at my phone, walking into the studio, and nearly walked right into our cameras. <laughs> oh, dude, you all right? So I'm fine, Alvin. It was like a glancing blow. I didn't hit it flush. Charlie Strong. Charlie, I know you and Derek Brooks have spent some time fundraising. When you walk in with D Brooks, you know that you're going to get a conversation and you're going to be able to sit at the table. And I just became a fan of the, the smack off. Did you say you needed an exterminator? Regards, OJ. That's good stuff, Ben. How many segments do I have until my vacation? By locking off their domes. Good stuff, Ben. War bums using roaches as harmonicas. Tay. Tay. Garbage in, garbage, garbage out. Garbage. But I saw this one local run. I saw this dude go right into a guy's heart with a meat thermometer. And he left it there to gauge this guy's temperature of his heart. 99 and climbing. I'm accustomed to playing basketball really rough. Bohica, buddy. That stands for bend over here. It comes again. I'm out, Rome. <laughs> uh, I do have a question, Alvin. Where was the hammer on that? How was that okay? <laughs> it is a party up in here. Why is it a party up in here? Not because it's Friday, but I do have two weeks off. I'm not the one who just got... McClain was in my seat before I was, and I didn't see him. And he's gone. Freaking McClain. Welcome, Welcome to, to the party, pal. Jim, I'm a fan. I stay a fan. Damien Lee, my guest. I mean, it's basically doggy dog. Uh, every day, night in, night out. Bruh. Get to Camp Randall. Yeah! Ah! Charlie Culberson is my guest. You know what? Our parents did it for us. Do it for your kids because you love them. And Improvement will lead to success. Galactic kook. Two Gary Payton's yeah. family. Be in the rental car. My new best friend. Go pack. All right now. I love the UD. Eat kids, mom. <laughs> Oh, yeah. X-Hamster? For the 1992 Canadian Open. Brain fart. Stupid idiot. Money. Lara Brown, really? How did you like my hog in that veto? Good night now! Charlie Culberson is my guest. Charlie, really nice to have you on. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on today. Thank, thanks I for having me. I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. So you dropped a tough one last night to your former team, the Dodgers. Let me ask you this. When you're in the battle and you're in the middle of it, of a tight divisional race, does a loss like that sting a little bit more, or do you simply just get ready and come right back again tonight? I think a little bit when it happens, when you lose, but the good thing about baseball, there's always the next day. So uh, four-game series here against the Dodgers, and you know we got Kurt facing Kershaw on the mound tonight, and we just have to stick to our game plan and go out there and try to beat them. All right, so your team has had a really nice season so far, and your teammates and coaches keep talking about how much you've meant to the team since you arrived. Now, I did introduce you as an Atlanta Braves baseball player, and I did so because you have played six different positions, and you've been in eight of the nine spots of the lineup. It is the very definition of versatility. Mentally, then, how do you prepare yourself for every game, knowing that it could be something different every single time? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been in that utility role my whole career, especially at the big league level. Um, always coming off the bench, always being the guy to like go wherever they need me to go. So it's one of those things. It kind of helps me stick around to be able to play this game. Um, but knowing that, I know I can play these positions and help the team out, and having the guys rely on me too. So it's just a, it's a team thing, and you do what you got to do. If, if you don't do it, somebody else will do it. Um, so that's that's my mindset is just being ready to do whatever they need me to do each, each and every day. God, that's so true, isn't it? If you don't do it, somebody else will. Charlie Culberson joining yeah. us. Now, you had an absolutely monstrous NLCS and a World Series replacing Corey Seager. You went 8 for 16. You had a home run, a triple, a couple of doubles. Obviously, the World Series did not end the way you wanted it to, but when you look back on that experience, what sticks out to you the most? Yeah, it was funny. Um, I spent half the season up with them in 16. Um, great group of guys. I spent all season in AAA last year, came up in September. But the, the cool thing about it is I felt like I was there all year, um, especially going through the postseason. These games are so tight. 
you're with each other even more so during those times and you become like best friends. It's a family. Um, and that postseason lasted for the month of October and into November 1st, but it felt like I was there all season. So that was, that was pretty special. And, and, you know, not everybody gets to play in the World Series and, and do things like that. So to get that experience with those guys over there, you know, obviously I'll be able to talk about that for the rest of my life. And no, no. Um, it kind of led me to where I'm at today. Yeah, exactly, right? So we're at today. Then in the offseason, you're part of that big, big trade between the Dodgers and the Braves. Now, as a native of Rome, Georgia, and a graduate of Calhoun High School, what was your reaction? And the way you laid that out, especially considering what that experience was like for you last year, what was your reaction when you found out you'd be heading back to Atlanta? Yeah, kind of bittersweet. Uh, I grew up a Braves fan. Um, at some point, you know, I told myself, yeah, it'd be nice to play for the Braves, but not many people get to get a chance to pick where they get to go play, and I definitely wasn't in that position. But uh, when the trade happened, um, obviously it took a little while to, to sink in, but I know it's been special for me and my family. Uh, we live here. Obviously, this is home for us to keep our kids in one place. Um, have my parents, family, and friends come to the games. It's been really special. I'm just trying to enjoy every single day of it. Oh, that's huge. So you grew up as a Braves fan, obviously. Who was your guy? Who was your favorite Brave growing up? I mean, position player growing up, I uh, still am. Chipper, Andrew, those two guys were, you know, so much fun to watch. Pretty easy. I don't know. That, that team was just so easy to root for as a kid. Um, they were so good. Anybody that was playing for them was, I think we were all fans of them. So, um, yeah, the Braves were the, Braves were the team. Man, that's so true. Chipper was amazing. And Andrew, when he comes up and he's 19 and doing what he did at that time was absolutely amazing. So at one point in April, you were just two for 25. It's a rough stretch to go through, but baseball's a hard game like that. Was there any part of you that felt like maybe, maybe you were pressing a little bit and trying to make a good impression on your new team? Oh, absolutely. If I, if I said otherwise, I think I'd be lying. Um, coming back home, you want to do well. You want to do well for yourself and your, the fans, your family. And there'd be two weeks that go by, and I'm like, man, I haven't got a hit. I'm like, this, this is tough, um, especially when you're not playing. Any, um, you want to just, you want to do well. You want to help your team out. And I wasn't really doing any of that in April. Um, but I've been in those positions before. You know, great coaches around me, great teammates, talk to. Um, they're just saying, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Everything will be all right. You know, surely enough, sometime in May rolls around. You know, things kind of turn around for me. So. You know, these guys, you know, stuck with me, and it's been it's been great. So hopefully we can just kind of we can finish out strong. Charlie Culberson, my guest, for a few more moments. I want to make this point, too. It's not just your versatility. Man, you are clutch, really clutch. Four of your home runs have ended games, including two pinch hit game-ending home runs. Now, if you do that once or twice, it might be a coincidence. It might be luck. But when you keep coming through in the clutch the way you have, that's certainly not luck. So how do you explain it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where, honestly, high-pressure high situations, uh, high leverage, it's, I feel like I relax myself a little bit more. And when you do that, it in turn allows you to, you know, to have better at-bats. And, yeah, again, I don't hit a lot of home runs. Um, but just those situations have come around and kind of got lucky enough to put good swings on the ball at the right time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's those are the moments that, as a ball player, as an athlete, you want you want to be in those moments. If you shy away from it, then it'll expose you. So you have to just be positive and almost like talk yourself into it. Um, 
you got to you kind of have to hype yourself up a little bit for those for those big moments. Hmm. You know, there was a stretch where three of your home runs were game winners, including one that was Vin Scully's last official game call. What do you remember about that moment? Yeah, that was a wild game uh, in the September in LA. It was that yeah last home home call home game. It was an extra inning game against the Rockies, my former team. I uh, went to ten innings, um, and again, I think it was just one of those hot. Hollywood endings for Ben. I was in the right place at the right time. Home run, end of the game. We're celebrating, and we uh, we all turned our attention back to Ben in the booth. So that's, I mean, yeah, I think I was obviously lucky to be in that position, but I think that day was for him, and that was how it was supposed to. It was supposed to be played out that way. So yeah, it was it was special, and I've had so many Dodger fans, you know, since then, just saying so many nice things about me and what I did over there. So that. That'll, you know, stay close to my heart for a that's, while. That's really cool. Listen, one last thought. Your high school coach, Chip Henderson, said that he knew, and this is really amazing to me, he knew after watching you take two ground balls that you were going to be something special. And one of the things he talks about is the way you carried yourself and always did so the right way and that you had that so-called it factor. How much of you knowing how to carry yourself comes from your father, Charles, who played five years professionally? And then what kind of an impact has he had on you? Yeah, I think for anybody, it's easy to look up to your parents, um, but it's really easy for me to look up to my mom and dad. They've been so much to me. They always supported me. Uh, my dad always pushed me, and he pushed me hard, but he did it the right way. He never wanted me to shy away from the game. He wanted me to get better. He always wanted me to be better than he was, and that's what I'm going to do with my kids. You know, I want them to be better at things that I was. So I think they were just – they were just good parents. You know, they, they took the time out um, to take me to faraway places to play games, to practice. And we always talk about that, about what they sacrifice. So, and they still do. And they're, they're just great people that, you know, want to see me uh, succeed. Yeah, I got to say this, too. To that point, you have lots of parents that make that sacrifice, that make that commitment. You know, we play, my kids play travel ball, and even if you don't become you and make it to the major leagues, we even play college baseball. Man, it's a major sacrifice on the part of every parent, isn't it? It's like every weekend, it's during the week, it's the workouts, it's the games. I mean, if your kid makes it to the major leagues, that's amazing, Charlie, but if not, it's still a major sacrifice, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have three kids of my own, and me and my wife are talking about gymnastics for my daughter, and it's like, oh, it's this many miles away and this much time in the car, I'm like, you know what? Our parents did it for us. You do it for your kids because you, you love them and you want them to have fun. That's the biggest thing. So you do what you got to do. And, you know, they grow up so fast. You don't want to, you don't want to waste any time. You just want to let them enjoy life and enjoy what they're doing too. Man, you nailed it. That's exactly what it is. LA at Atlanta tonight. Charlie Culberson having a huge year. Charlie, really nice to visit with you. Great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety? Like Boar's Head Oven Gold Turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices and then slow-roasted until it's fork-tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little bread would do. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere.